It's the Son of a Butch podcast. It's Masters Week and episode two of Butch Harmon talking about the Masters. Uh, I put up some questions uh, last week and it's kind of a Ask Butch segment. He's going to answer your questions. Got some really good questions and um, I think everybody will be, um, I think they'll be maybe a little surprised by his answers, but um, anytime you can get you know someone like him his takes um, and get an opportunity for him to answer your questions. Um, I think it's invaluable. And I mean, his takes uh, on, on the game, on Augusta and um, you know, just his life in general, always good to, to listen to him. So sit back and enjoy episode two of the master's pregame show with Butch Harmon. I put some questions up, and uh, so these, Dad, are the fans' questions. Um, had a had a bunch of people ask me, um, "What is your personal favorite Masters moment?" Oh my gosh, uh, I would have to say Tiger in '97 when he won. The reason being, I always told Tiger when he was younger, the, the beauty of Tiger Woods was that he loved to hear about the old timers. What, what, how'd your dad do this? Hogan, Nelson, Sneed. We were- I mean, you always had him playing practice rounds with Raymond Floyd and guys that had won there before. And, you know, my dad won by five. And he said it was the greatest feeling in the world walking up the 72nd hole with a five-shot lead because he knew he couldn't lose. And I remember when Tiger was just a teenager and we were talking about this. I said, you know, someday it's going to happen to you. Well, in 97, I can remember standing <laughs> behind the 18th green and he's breaking the record and he's winning by a zillion shots. And I'm standing back there and it was kind of overcast, but I had my sunglasses on because I had tears in my eyes. And I'm thinking to myself, I'll be a son bitch. But I told this kid that this is going to happen to him someday and here he comes. And I, it just did my heart good to see it because I know how much it meant to my father the way he did it. And people don't realize. When you come to the last hole with a big lead, it's it's there's so much relief off your shoulders and being tied or one one back or one in front. So that part to me was really special. And then obviously '86 when Jack Nicklaus won was pretty impressive. It's, uh, I've told this story before, and and but it you you talking about having a big lead, um, DJ when he won there. You know, he said he didn't look at any of the leaderboards and there aren't a lot of leaderboards like there are at PGA Tour events where there's pretty much leaderboards on every hole. So if you really don't want to look, you can kind of not look. And he hit it in that bunker and he hit it and, and he said to AJ as they're walking up the 18th hole, he said, are we leading? I mean, how, am I in the lead? Do I have a big lead? And AJ said, bro, you got like a three-shot lead. Even I can't mess this up. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I may have to. I love DJ, but I may have to throw the bullshit flag on that. I guarantee he knew where he stood coming up seven seconds. There's no way he didn't know. And, and I and and I guarantee you, you give Austin a three shot lead from the middle of that fairway, he's going to struggle to make par. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. um, if he was playing and had a three shot lead, he'd be struggling to breathe. Are you kidding me? Um, what's a lot of people ask this? What's your favorite hole at Augusta? When I when I play there, my favorite hole is the twelfth. The reason being is I get to walk to the green because <laughs> if you go to the <laughs> tournament, you never get to go over to that side. Well, that's that's true. So, I mean, if you get over, we, when we were, my brothers and I were playing in November, we'd get over to the green and say, hey, guys, look back, wave at all the people back there, even though there was nobody there. <laughs> that is interesting. I mean, last year I went and played um, 
when DJ was defending champion, um, I'd never been on the golf course and he, we went up and did a little scouting mission, you know, the week before. And like you, like you said, I had never been on to, so I didn't play, but I got to walk around. I'd never been on to the 12th green. And when you actually, when you, when you actually get down to that part of the golf course, when you get down to 11, when you get down to 12, that, that entire part of the golf course dad has, a completely different feel than the rest of the golf course because because it is one of the places in the tournament when you go and if you're lucky enough to watch that you can never get anywhere close to you can't also i think the interesting thing about the 11th green is when you look at all of the things around the 11th green the undulations of the approach shots of the chip shots that you have to but when you get on the 12th green i think people would be absolutely floored by how small it is it is a tiny tiny green well the beauty of 12 is and the old timers will tell you because the wind comes down there and whips it around it's why you'll see a guy hit a shot that he thinks he's hit a really good shot and he gets hit with a gust and the ball goes in the middle of the lake with like an eight iron or nine iron up people say how the hell can that happen and that it's coming if they're doing that it's coming up sometimes 20 yards short Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's not they hit a bad shot. That's the win. But the old-timers will tell you, and you'll watch the guys that have been there forever, you can see the flag on 12 going one way, but they look over their left shoulder to 11 because the flag on 11 is the true direction the wind's going above the trees because 11 is not in there with all those trees. It's exposed, so you can see it. But still, it's, it is, I would say, over the bunker where you probably should play every one. If you hit it in the middle of the green every time, you'd be the happiest guy on the course. It's probably not even 30 feet deep because it's, it's very narrow in there. It's just a great hole. It just shows you that these modern par threes that are 220, 230 yards are a joke because this, this isn't even 150 yards long. And it kicks the butt of the best players in the world because it's so tricky the way the wind blows down there. That's why it's my favorite hole in the whole course, not only to play, but to, to watch it during the tournament. This was an interesting question that someone asked. What's the most difficult shot at Augusta during the tournament that nobody talks about that they're not constantly talking about all the time? What is a shot that you say that having played there, having been there for pretty much the majority of your life and then having commentated... What is a shot that the viewers can say, okay, this is a hole that y you wouldn't think this is a difficult one, but if a guy has this and is able to get this 15, 20 feet, they're literally sprinting to go mark their ball. Without a shot, the drive off the first tee. The anxiety that's going through these guys. Think about the great Tiger Woods. Some of the worst drives he's ever hit at Augusta are on the first tee. It's not because he's nervous. It's just he's so anked up. He's like a horse in the starting gate of Kentucky Derby. He's ready to go. And that drive, you watch some of the best players in the world hit some of the worst drives you've ever seen in your life. It's amazing how many times they're playing out of the left trees or even the ninth fairway sometimes, you know, because that bunker on the right is very deep. And you hit it in that bunker, it's hard to get it to the green. And I think that's the shot that I know it would surprise your, your viewer who asked the question, I think the hard shot is the one you hit off the first tee, which sounds ridiculous for the best players in the world. But look at how many bad drives we see. I think another one that you hear the guys talk about, again, if you've never been there, um, the layup on 15, if you don't go for that green into where you lay that ball up, I, I mean, it is on a straight down slope. Here's the interesting thing what people don't realize when they see a guy dump an 80, 90-yard wedge shot into the, into the water. 
first of all, you're hitting off a severe downslope and the green's above you. I know it's hard to believe, but the green is up a little higher. Uh, the only flat spot you hit is if you hit, if you lay it up, you hit, lay it up way to the left over there, you have a chance. But then if the pin's over there on the left, and you know, you, you don't want to get it down there. You don't want that 60, 50, 60, 70 yard shot off that damn. You'd be better off back up on the hill where you could hit a nine iron or something and have a better chance. It's one of the coolest wedge shots ever. I can remember a couple of years ago when Billy and I were playing there, I came to that hole and I was, uh, I was only like four over par. I was having a good day. And I said, oh my gosh, I got a great chance to shoot my age today. And, you know, I'm 79 now, so I would have been 77 or whatever. And then I said, I'm only like four over or something. And I laid it up perfect. I'm still on the hole. I haven't finished it. <laughs> I put so many balls in the water. I said, oh, there goes that. <laughs> Well, the other thing that I don't think people realize is when you do lay it up, regardless when the pins on the right-hand side or when the pins down their front left, you hit it over that green and it is you can chip it or putt it in the water in a heartbeat because it's so severe, that slope going back from if you're over that green, it is so severe that you're scared to death of running it past. So then... You, you lay the sod over it and don't even get it on, and now you've got to hit the same shot that you were scared of before. When you go over that green, say, 10, 15 yards, you're probably six to eight feet below the actual putting surface, and you're pitching back up into the grain and not a lot of green to, to pitch out. And what I've seen lately, the, the, the last few years that we didn't used to see in the old days because guys can hit the ball so far is guys that – catch one and they knock it over the green and it goes in the lake on 16. We used to oh, never yeah. see that because the grass is cut so mowed so much nicer now and it's all down grain and that ball takes off. It's going in the water on 16. Then you're really upset. Because as you mentioned in the beginning, because it's played at the same place every year, we know where the pin positions are going to be very rarely on Sunday. I mean, they're never going to put a pin on the right front right of the green at 15. They're never going to put a pin on the front right at 16. They're always going to put the pin on 15 to the left down at the bottom. They're always going to put that pin on 16, the iconic 16th pin position where Tiger chipped it. 16 more than any of them. Occasionally, they'll put it straight back in the middle of the green. You can remember years ago, Nichols Hole, a big putt putting up the hill. Usually, the, the pin on Sunday used to be kind of on the right side, straight back towards the back of the green. They use the one over to the left on Saturday, but they've changed that up now. So it's either going to be one or the two. Uh, it just makes for an exciting hole. I mean, it's, ju it's just special watching those guys play. They've lengthened that tee a little. They didn't have a lot of room, but they went back to the left and it's lower. It's actually below the fairway, so the ball doesn't carry quite as far as it used to. But they're still most of the time hitting some sort of iron in there. But, you know, it's, it, it's like anything else. A lot depends on the wind conditions. Uh, we've seen uh, Seve back in the day have the lead coming in. He's hitting a four iron to the green, trying to hit a high fade. and doesn't quite hit it. Hits in the water, costs him winning. Uh, even in Norman's debacle when he was still hanging in there, you know, he struggled on those holes coming in 16 even hitting the water. So it's, there's, I would say there's tragedy waiting for you. That's why I say Augusta, to win Augusta is a really, really mental game. You got to really so, be smart and learn how to play that course. So, is it harder to win from the front, or is it easier to chase? Because obviously, if you do have a lead, and we've seen that over the years, we see guys that have a lead, and all of a sudden, by the fifth hole, the lead's gone, 
And all of a sudden, they've got a two, three-shot lead. They didn't take advantage of two. And also, so do you feel like it's a, a golf course and a tournament that it is hard to lead from the front on Sunday? I think it depends on the individual. You've had great front runners. You've had Tiger Woods is probably the greatest front runner in the history of the game. He just takes off and leads you. Jack was the greatest champion of all time. You know, he won eight, 18 majors, 19 seconds. I mean, he could have won 30-something majors. But those guys were smart. They could handle it. Now you have other guys don't feel comfortable with the lead. You have a lot of great players that have won a lot of tournaments and have never won one when they had the lead because they come behind and they can freewheel it a little and say, well, I got nothing to lose, so I'm just going to turn it loose and start shooting for everything. The guy that has the lead, depending on who he is, uh, it's a lot of pressure on him. And, and the mindset, Dad, of you, I mean, that is interesting that you mentioned that. Some guys, I mean, Tiger loved having a lead, and then there are other guys that have never really won tournaments being in the lead. They've run from... What is it about the mindset of the chaser and the guy that's got the lead, and how are those different? Well, it depends on how well the guy was playing that had the lead. Did he do it with his putting? Does he have an exceptional putting week where he gets up and down every time, and all of a sudden now it's the, the fourth round of the first major of the year that he got to the National Masters, and he's scared to death going out there because he knows he hasn't had his best shot. Stuff. If you're having control of your golf ball, especially your iron game, Scotty Scheffler is a, is a perfect one. He, he controls his ball beautifully the way he's played. John Rahm, Rory, these guys control their ball. And we could put Cantley and a whole bunch of other guys in there too. But this is the important part. And then here comes the, the coup right here. How comfortable are you with the lead? Some guys love it. They absolutely love it. DJ is very good at it. DJ gets the lead. He loves it. Roy, Roy likes the lead. Roy, they, they got to come get me. And the only way they can get me is if I make a mistake. So if I don't make any mistakes, that's why I say it's a mental thing. You got to be strong mentally to deal with it. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10 year, 100,000 mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. We had some people ask, Tiger or Jack, who's the greatest of all time? Well, first of all, it's different eras, so it's hard to, hard to compare them, especially with the different equipment and stuff. The way I answer that question all the time is Jack is the greatest champion that's ever lived. There's no doubt about it. He won 18 majors. He got 19 seconds. He's got 13 thirds. He could have won a zillion majors. Every time there was a major, Jack Nix was there with a chance. Tiger's the greatest player I've ever seen. He could take over a golf course. He won the U.S. Open by 15 shots. He wins these, these majors by 8, 9, and 10 shots. No one's ever done that. I don't think you could say one's better than the other. To me, they're the two greatest players that have ever played the game, and I, I no way I can say one's better than the other. I wish they could have both played against each other in their prime because it would have been something to see. Um, we had a lot of people ask this question. Dad, um, what's the difference between elite and what's the difference between good? What's what's Because everybody – I mean, Dad, you work with so many players. I work with players. I'm always getting asked that question. What is it that separates players from level to level? But that elite 
Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, Scotty Sheffield, the great, great players of any era, Jack, Arnie, whatever, Tiger, Greg, Faldo, what is the differentiator that separates the good from the great, from the good, from the really, really elite players? I think the best, the, the ultimate champions, it's all mental. They handle every situation perfectly. They understand their adrenaline rushes in their body. How much further do, do they hit a shot when they're all jacked up? They have the ability, and you hear me say this all the time, that the last shot never happened. It's gone. I can't be thinking about it three holes later. How did I three-putt that green from 12 feet or something? The great ones just put it out of their mind, and they are totally focused on what they've got control of right now. And the only thing you have control of is the next shot that you're going to hit. And these guys, because they're all good. These players today are all really good. And you've got guys that win a lot of tournaments and, and don't even win a, ever win a major. You know, it's because it's, it's hard to win a major. But the guys that have total control of their mind, their ability to know their nervous system and control it, have a great caddy that can keep them going and involved with that, that's the difference between the elite and the really good ones. Do you think you can over-prepare for Augusta? I always think the guys get there too early. They do too many kind of scouting missions. And then the golf course, I mean, that's the great thing about Augusta too. It it gets in their head early. And 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 the, the people setting up the golf course, they know that it's getting in their head. And everybody always says, I don't know why I'm playing these practice rounds because by the time we get to Thursday, the golf course from Wednesday night to Thursday morning can be totally different than the golf course they've played for the last three days it's the young ones that go there and over prepare the, the 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 champions will go there the week before and they'll play and they'll do their with their caddy and they do it then they may not show up till tuesday and then they'll only play nine holes they'll play nine holes tuesday nine holes wednesday and then they'll go play the tournament the young ones are the first and second timers man they're they're there the weekend before by the time Thursday comes around, they're not only worn out physically, they're worn out mentally. They're like, how the hell are we going to play this hole? Oh, my God, I can't. And, you know, and everybody's telling them the old timers love messing with the, the new ones. They say, <laughs> OK, here, let's start off on number two. You can't hit it to the left on number two. OK, if you hook it down there, there there's a creek down there and there's a Delta Airlines ticket agency down there to get your flight because you're not going to be here on Saturday. That's the first thing. So now you've played the first hole you made bogey. You're going to double bogey. The second, then you get on third, you act like you can drive the green, but you hit it over the green and you pitch it back over the green. You made another double. Now you're standing on the fourth tee. And so they, they mess with these kids' heads all the time. <laughs> but I think you watch the, the really good ones. They don't play a lot of practice rounds. They usually go nine and nine. Some of them will come in on Monday and just play Tuesday and Wednesday. Most of them, the upper echelon, have been there the week before and they've worked on their games and they know their game plan for the way the, the course is set up. It's, it's, man, it's a mental test, Augusta National. I'm here to tell you, it is a mental test. We had a lot of people that uh, write in and ask about the work that you've been doing with Ricky Fowler and um, some of the work that you've just started doing with Tommy Fleetwood. Let's talk about Ricky first. I mean, obviously disappointed not to play his way into Augusta, but I think we're starting to see some signs of life and, and, and Ricky starting to play golf like um, I know he wants to and how, he, how we all know he can play as well. Yeah, we got back together uh, last November. I uh, did most of it just on video because I was in Florida. My brother, Craig, who lives down there, is a member at the Medalist where Ricky's a member. And Craig was kind of my eyes. We, we laid out, I laid out a whole plan for Ricky of what I wanted to do to change the plane of his arm, give him more hip turn, a lot of different things we've worked on. And then Craig would go watch him and film him for me and send it back and forth. 
Ricky's done a great job. He's very upset that he's not playing at Augusta. I thought he had a good chance in the match play if he had just got to the out of the first three, and unfortunately that didn't happen. Uh, he would have been high enough to, to get in, but that's okay. He's going to be there in the rest of the majors. He, I, I guarantee he will win this year. That's how good he's playing. He's got tremendous confidence again. Uh, it's just I played with him, uh, member guest last month down at the Florida, and he came up and played on Friday in the practice round with us. He made nine birdies again, you know, so his game is there. It's a matter now of, of the one area of it that I still am not 100% happy with is his driving. He's, he's not seeing quite the draw that he likes to hit off the tee consistently. So we're doing a little more extra work with the driver and get that dialed in. Ricky's going to win, and he's going to win soon. And the game needs Ricky Fowler to play good because he's one of the most popular guys in our sport, and it's just nice to see him back up doing what he's doing and having a good chance. Tommy Fleetwood, Dad, you started working with him. Tommy's one of the guys that on the driving range, if I'm waiting for one of you know the guys I'm working with, I'll sit and watch Tommy hit golf balls. Um, I think I'm in the majority in that, like you. I'm surprised Tommy hasn't one more. I'm surprised he hasn't, certainly hasn't won more on the PGA Tour. Um, what do you like about Kim? And talk a little bit about uh, what you've been doing with his game. I love his golf swing. I love the way he swings. Uh, I think uh, Tommy is a, is a good dark horse bet at Augusta. The course kind of suits his eye because he draws the ball. And I think now more than in the past with some of the new tees, the draw becomes a little more important than it used to. Uh, he's got to putt a little more consistently than he has. He switched putters uh, and has gone back to his old putter, which he, he feels more comfortable with. I think it's just getting comfortable with the changes. As you know, change isn't easy. Change is hard, no matter who you are, no matter how much talent you have. And your, bet, your faults will always creep back in there. So I, I actually have all my players, whatever change we're making, I make them exaggerate the heck out of it on the practice team. That way, when they go to the course, they can feel more comfortable. I think Tommy's ready to break out. The driver's back. His little draw's back. He sees it. He's feeling more comfortable about it. He's ready to go. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how he does. And besides that, he's one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. I love Tommy Fleetwood. I love his golf game. I love him. He's got a great sense of humor. He's just a good guy. Can you understand a word his caddy Finno says, or do you need a translator? No, I can't understand him. And he's also like six foot eight. I mean, I can't even. So you don't want to. You don't want to tell him you can't understand him. I can't understand him a bit. And and I know one thing: if a fight breaks out, I'm just standing behind him and talking shit, going, "Yeah, I'm gonna kick your ass. You got to come through him to get to me." Well, I I tell you what: if if you stand behind Finno, um, nobody's gonna be able to see you because he's six eight and he is built like have. We talked about it earlier. They have a great player-caddy relationship. They get along so well. They're good friends. Uh, he's a good guy, that caddy. He's something. Uh, give me your three favorites and then give me three dark horses. You've kind of touched on it, but we'll put you on the spot. Give me three favorites and three dark horses. I would say, well, I've already, to I've already told you that I thought uh, Rory's going to win. I mean, it, you'd have to take the top three in the world. Scotty Scheffler, Rory, uh, John Rahm would be the ones everybody would take. But if you look down the list, I think the, the two the two that I, I am going to be most interested to see, and you're involved in one of them, are Smith and DJ. I want to see how they handle Augusta. I want to see, because it's the first time they've been involved with a guy, with all these guys in a big major and stuff, that's going to be the interesting thing for me to see. You've got to look at the guys that have been playing that are hot going in here. But I think your dark horses uh, – 
and I love this guy. And if he can control his temperament, he's really awesome to Terrell Hatton. I mean, this guy's oh, awesome. He, I, it, it, Terrell Hatton has got to be that your spirit animal because he's basically got the same type of temper you had when you played on tour. Yeah, well, a lot better talent than I had. That's for damn sure. <laughs> but I, I love Terrell Hatton. I think you've seen Justin Rose has started to play well again. He's another one nobody's t- thinking about. Uh, Brooks is really playing well again. Uh, Lowry's playing well again. I mean, you've got a lot of guys that could be dark horses. And then you got the guys that are I was just writing some things down. Guys that are flying in under the radar who aren't even being talked about. You got Patrick Cantley, one of the best players in the world. Nobody's talking about it. Max Homa, nobody's talking about it. Jordan Thomas and Spieth, nobody talks about it. Uh, Young and Tim, uh, Tom Kim, these guys, nobody's talking about. These guys are all capable of winning this tournament. And I'll tell you who's really. It's going to be one of the most exciting Masters we've had in a long time, Claude. And I'll tell you who's really starting to play good again, who's been doing a lot of work with Chris Como. I think Chris has done a great job. I've had him on the podcast. Jason Day starting to play good again. I mean, Jay Day's golf swing looks good. He's been a major champion before. He's been number one in the world. I mean, if Jason gets that putter going like when he putts like he does, I mean, he's he's pretty good. Yeah, uh, Chris Como's done a phenomenal job with him. You know, he never used to make any hip turns. It's all upper body turn. That's why his back was so bad. It, he's got him rotated his hips now, which takes the pressure off his back. He seems to have his mojo back, too. The same thing you see with Ricky when they walk. You can tell that the confidence is back. So, Jay Day is another one. But there's the game is in a great place. I mean, we've got so many good young players. It's unbelievable. It just And the Masters is always special because it's the first one. And somebody who you would never believe is going to be leading after the first round, because that usually always happens there, and then they go away, and you know. But it's going to be a great match. We've got so many good players that are playing good, and that's what you look at coming into a major. Who's playing good? Well, my God, there's 15 or 20 of them that are playing great at this point in time coming in here, and none of them are really rookies there. They've all played there before. They know the course. They know how to handle it. I think it's going to be awesome. I thought, thought this was a good question. Somebody said, what do you know now that you didn't know when you started teaching? Oh, my gosh. Well, one of the things I pride myself on, if I don't know what I don't know, I, I'll go learn it. I'll, I'll go talk to somebody who does know it. I mean, think about teaching, Claude, and you've, you've been doing this for quite a while. I've done it for my whole life. It, what I teach now, I didn't teach 10 years ago. What I taught 10 years ago, I didn't teach 20 years ago. Equipment has changed a lot. Players had changed a lot. The physical fitness part of players, the size of players. Back in in my day, I'm five foot eight. Back in my day, everybody was five eight, five nine, five ten would have been pretty tall. Now everybody's over six feet. They're six one, two, three, and four. They're all great athletes. Uh, so it's a different scenario. And as an instructor, you have to change according to the times. And you look at who you're dealing with, the capabilities of them, how strong are they, their club head speed so much faster. You look at what equipment has done, the ball doesn't curve as much as it used to, so they can go at it harder. So all of these things have to factor in. You look in the old days with wooden drivers and, and softballs, the big reverse C's that everybody got into, hitting it, trying to get the ball in the air. You look at now, we want everybody on top of it to launch it high with as little spin as you can. So I think you have to evaluate everything that's going on, and you have to think outside the box. I'm a great believer that I don't think in the box. I think outside the box, and outside the box is a wide range. What I mean is don't get caught up in everybody doing everything the same way because that's a bunch of BS. That doesn't work. 
And people that have taught that way, none of those players are on the on the tour anymore. So think outside the box. Have an open mind. And always look at what guys are doing. You may see a guy, you don't like the way he swings. And all of a sudden, he's a good player. Well, why the hell is he a good player? I mean, look at Scotty Sheffer's footwork or, or Bubba Watson's footwork. If, if that's the thing I think that Randy Smith has done such a great job with Scotty because he's been with him forever. You don't change those things. That's what they do naturally. And so you, as I've taught you and as my dad taught me, you, you never take away what someone does naturally. You just try and make them better. But yeah, my whole philosophy on teaching has changed maybe every 10 or 12 years. I had a, somebody asked this question. I thought it was interesting. If you could become TPI certified, meaning learn about the body swing connection or become certified, you know, in a launch monitor and learn everything about the launch monitor, which one would you do and which one would you suggest people to learn about how the body works and how that affects the golf swing or to look at all the numbers and become proficient in everything a launch monitor could tell you? Well, first of all, a launch monitor can't hit a shot, so I don't give a damn what the numbers are telling you on the launch monitor. That's information, but that's not the whole thing. I'd rather see you have a great body and you do the things in your body that allow you to do the things you want. One of and you and I've had this, this conversation. One of the things that I find when I was first, when I would left the tour in 2019, and now like I only go to the Masters, is to watch a lot of these teachers. They never watch the guy swing. They never watch the ball. They instantly go to all the numbers. Well, I would love my father to be alive today because with, with the launch monitors. Can you, can, Claude, can you imagine your grandfather today with everybody looking at the launch monitor and you could just hear him, hey, pal, let me explain something to you. That, see that machine right there? Never hit a shot. It's never hit one. Doesn't know how to hit one. Doesn't know how to tell you how to hit one. And come Sunday on the back nine at Augusta, when that red light on that camera is burning a hole in your forehead right here, and you know it's burning that hole, you better hope you're not thinking about that damn lunch monitor. That's for sure. And you got to pay. And, and you got to pay thirty grand to get one. No, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't have one. <laughs> I actually, I teach with two of them. They're right here. My baby blues. Those are my lunch monitors. Um, the Sky Team. Um, they're like a second family to you. I know that. Um, even though you're not doing it as much as as you used to, I know it is something that. Um, and now that you do it, you know, only once a year at Augusta, but to come back and, and, and get with all the people at Sky Sports, the golf team there, um, all the crew, Radar, Coltart, Nick, um, it, it's like a second family to you, I know. Well, you know, I first did it. The first thing I ever did was a, a, a small part of the Ryder Cup in 95 at Oak Hill, and I've been doing it ever since. So, I mean, I know everybody there. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, it's so funny when I'm in over in the UK playing golf or something, I'm much more known in the UK than I am in the U S and it has nothing to do with the teaching and all the great players up. It's all television. It's just, I'll tell you a great story. Last year when we went uh, to well County down, the first time I got to go as uh, being a member in Northern Ireland, which is my favorite golf course in the world. Uh, because of COVID, after I became a member in 19, I couldn't get over there. I had the best time, and we flew over, and my good friend Stan Buckenmiller's $80 million global, and it was just a phenomenal plane. And we, pull, we land, and we put it, park us off nowhere. And these two guys that are bringing the plane in and stuff, we get, this is so funny. We get off the plane, and they go, hey, Butch, can we get a, a picture with you next to your plane? I said, oh, yeah, please do next to my plane. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, we're excited that you're coming to Augusta. I know a bunch of the guys and, um, the fact that, you know, I, I've pretty much told everybody that 
you're coming. So you're going to be amongst friends. Everybody's going to be excited to see you. And uh, I, I agree with you. I think we're going to have a, uh, a special Masters. And uh, I look forward to it. And Rory going for the Grand Slam. Um, you know, Scotty Scheffler trying to repeat. John Rahm, I mean, I think it's a golf course that's made for him. And then the live guys, I think it'll be fun. Looking forward to seeing you. I'll see you on uh, Monday. Well, I'm looking forward to being there. And uh, as the, the great uh, referee in boxing who did all the big fights here in Mills Lane used to say, let's get it on. Thanks for talking to us. You got it. Love you, pal. So that was a really good segment where Butch Harmon asks, answers your questions. And um, I, I love doing that. I mean, I love getting, you know, your feedback. Um and listen, he's my dad, but he's also, I mean, he's an icon. And um, I, I just did a, a pod, if you haven't listened, making a case for him to be in, in the Hall of Fame. He's been on the pod before. So if you're new and you're a new listener, um, he's been on a couple of times. He's always got good takes. And um, it's a treasure trove of information when you, when you get an opportunity um, to talk to Butch Harmon. And like I said, I'm lucky. Um, I talk to him all the time. He's my dad, but um, he's just such an iconic figure in golf instruction, um, an iconic figure in in professional golf. And anytime um, I get a chance to talk to him, I, I feel I'm much better for it. And um, that was it. Uh, so two episodes this week. If you haven't listened to yesterday's, go check it out. But um, I figured pretty cool to do that around this week, special week. We're all looking forward to see um, Augusta National in all its glory, and uh, I'm looking forward to it as well. So I hope everybody enjoys watching. If you're going, have fun, and if you're watching on TV, enjoy it as well. Son of a Butch comes to you every Wednesday. We will see you next week. Mm -hmm.